0: What's up everyone, Josh White here. Just got done with wrapping up an episode with one of my best friends, uh, a true brother of mine, Tech Sergeant Jeremy Rutherford of the 442nd Reserves, who was also the Director of Training at the Base Honor Guard at Whiteman Air Force Base, Missouri. I had Sergeant Rutherford on because he's one of the most resilient airmen I've ever known. Not only has he gone through two brutal divorces, but he also lost his brother and best friend to suicide. I had Sergeant Rutherford come on to speak on how he got through all that because truly as another human being and a friend of his, I wanted to know. We all have struggles that we deal with and he is an amazing example as to someone who has came out on the other side of tragedy and is living his best life. So I had to have him on to share that experience with us. I will give a trigger warning to anyone who is affected by suicide and is not yet ready To hear someone else's journey, please do not listen to this episode. Otherwise, there's a lot we can learn uh, from hearing Sergeant Rutherford's journey and story. And I wanted to thank him from the bottom of my heart for sharing it with us today. Without further ado, this is the Hero's Journey, Tech Sergeant Jeremy Rutherford. Let's get after it. So we're going to roll right into the Hero's Gauntlet. And these are four random questions um, that I have for you that are just kind of fun. It's kind of a way to break the ice. So we're going to roll right into that. And this has been my favorite question lately. So I'm going to start with that one. What's your spirit animal?
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, I'd say an owl.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Wise, quiet, you know, prideful. Yeah. What makes you pick the owl?
1: Uh, they can twist their head all the way around. True that. But I can't. Um <laughs> Now I've, I've, I've always liked owls uh, when they yeah you catch my attention on a fence post or whatever. They're just remarkable animals. Um, but the the uh, especially Native American history with them as being uh, wise animals, uh, symbols of of good and bad omens depending on where in the United States you're from. Um, it's always been an interesting animal to me, and I, I kind of you know keep that mystery. You know, especially yeah. honor guard I show up on the training floor. Is it good or bad?
0: Right. We don't know what to expect. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, no, I love that. That that is perfect for you. Um, what is your most admired leadership trait?
1: That others admire about me.
0: No, that you admire about others.
1: That I admire about others. Um I had a I had a leader once, a uh, Colonel I worked for, um, and he had he had this leadership philosophy especially when it came to uh, meetings with with the squadron commanders that worked for him. And it really stuck with me to something I've tried to bring forward. And that's instead of me having an idea, you know, I get a lot of those and sitting down and trying to figure out how to make my idea work. I sit down and before I even mention that I have an idea, I figure out what everyone else's idea is. And not so that I can steal it or, or say, well, that's a great idea, but mine's better because they might have an idea that is legitimately better than mine. And I don't want them to come to me and give me my own own idea back just because they heard me say it. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So that idea of literally listening to, to those who work for you in order to uh, come up with a a plan that's actually going to work um, instead of just trying to take ownership of everything. Uh, has, has worked for me in the past.
0: Nice. That's a really good answer. Um, I don't think I've ever asked you this, but what is your favorite book?
1: Oh, um, so I'm not much of a nonfiction reader. Uh, so my favorite books in general are are almost always uh, fantasy fiction, right? Like Lord of the Rings, uh, The Dungeons and Dragons books that that kind of tell a story alongside that, but as far as stuff that I've brought into my life, like science fiction, uh, fantasy fiction can all bring in a lot of life lessons that maybe the author was going through, things like that, and I've, I've absorbed a lot of that, and I think that that's important, but as far as, as far as something that I would, I would like and recommend to other people is a book called Don't Make Me Think, uh, which yeah. I think I've talked to you about before. Um, but it's, it's used or referenced in the software development community, um, but it's applicable in a lot of different ways for program management. And the idea is I should be able to figure out how to go through this process without having to think too much about it. So the, the goal is end user experience for whatever the program is, whether that's scheduling military funeral honors, whether that's using a website like Facebook or Zoom, um, the idea should be I should know what I want to do and be able to get there as effortlessly as possible without having someone hold my hand.
0: So kind of like what we were just talking about with my experience using Audacity versus iMovie.
1: Yes, not a sponsor. <laughs>
0: No, I, I can, that's literally how you think of, of things. I mean, that's how you operate. And uh, so I, that totally, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't written a book like that yourself at this point, to be honest. Oh, they've all
1: been, they've all been written right they've now. I'm just, written. I just, I just want to learn as much as I can. I don't want to, I don't want to dilute the, right. the playing field any more than it already is.
0: <laughs> okay. So the last question of our hero's gauntlet here, what is your proudest Air Force moment?
1: Oh goodness! I have a I have a a mix a mixed response here, right? Because I have my own accomplishments of which I'm very proud. Um, but as as proud as I am of those things, like briefing the the office of the undersecretary of defense almost broke my desk. Uh, briefing the undersecretary of defense on uh, the database that we built for military funeral honors, or uh, being invited uh, personally to go help rewrite regulation over mortuary affairs. Those were both very proud moments for me. Um, but they don't stick out as much as say, uh, seeing seeing an airman, especially one that I knew was struggling, come out just on Facebook and and just be successful. Right? Like, uh, watching uh, I, I, you you already interviewed him once I think uh, Mike Rosa and his story and and the airman he was to the the leader he's becoming has been a phenomenal thing, and i I couldn't be more proud. And when I see airmen like that, it is it is fantastic. it is it feels way better than anything I've accomplished,
0: yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you're you're essentially changing the direction of their life. You're you know, imparting on them lessons that you've learned earlier in your life in the hopes that they don't have to go through that to be in the same headspace that you've achieved. Right. So they can learn through you, through watching you and listening to you. And that's the goal. And it doesn't always connect, but that's what I love about honor guard is it's, it's an environment primed for that type of growth. Like you have that quality time with all these airmen on, and it's, it's a different environment. Like, um, I'm in public health right now and you know, it's, it's, busy, 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 go, go, go. Everyone's doing, everyone's split up. Everyone's doing their own thing. It's really hard to get everyone together in, in an honor guard training environment. There's so many opportunities to impart lessons, you know, to, to speak on experiences and to have people open up. So, you know, I try to take that with me. I try to take exactly what you're saying like that. How do I bring that everywhere? Right? Like I've seen it done. I've seen it done. Right. How do I How do I use that everywhere in my life with others? So that's the point that I'm at. And I totally get exactly uh, what you're saying with that. When you see someone, you know, start as product A and they end up as product B. And it's just like, holy cow. Like, and you even have to tell them like, Hey man, do you you realize like, you're not the same person anymore? Like, do you even realize it? So I think it's important to tell them that too. Um, So that's cool. That's a, that's a great answer. I think. I think all of those are great answers. Um, and for those of you who don't know, this guy is one of the best coders, programmers um, I've ever met. I don't, I don't know many, but he's one of the smartest people I've ever met, really. And he got to go to the Pentagon to brief the Office of the Secretary of Defense on a database that he had been trying to perfect for the better part of five years. And when I first met him, it was something that we were using locally. And when I went TDY to Bowling air force base and I met like 25 other program managers, I mean, they were basically working with, you know, crayons and paper for tracking compared to what this guy had developed. And I became basically a squeaky wheel for him and his program that wouldn't stop. And two years later, it finally started making uh, some traction in it. And for the betterment of all of honor guard and brought it out of the stone age, essentially. So that's definitely my proudest moment for you because holy crap, that is just—it's one of those rare moments in anyone's life or career that you can reflect on and be like, "Wow, I really made a difference, truly." And I'm seeing that change. I'm seeing the difference. You know what I mean? There, are few and got far the between. Pictures to prove it. <laughs> You've got the pictures to prove it. <laughs> Shout out to Colonel Eddie and the whole Mortuary Affairs team.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sergeant Cameron, Sergeant Fielder.
0: Yeah. And a whole
1: bunch of other people that I met on that trip. Chief Ravella. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I, I couldn't even begin to, to recount it all. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. And I could just see you just gleaming with pride in the pictures and just knowing that we had the opportunity to send you and it really took two years of, of kicking butt to grab their attention long enough to pitch the idea. So it, it was years of work that went into that opportunity to even present your case. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And it, it, disclaimer, it wasn't just me, uh, the product that we're using. Yeah. I may have been the only person actually typing the code, but we've had countless schedulers and trainers Uh, go through and and use this product and give me feedback. We had another developer at another base, uh, Scott Air Force Base, who helped uh, in his own way by building his own product that we were able to kind of compare and contrast and put together uh, something that worked even better. So it's not just me. I know some of those people are gonna be watching this. Shout out to all of you.
0: All five listeners, as I like to say. All um, five
1: listeners, only five. Oh man, you know I got.
0: <laughs> uh, th- and three of them are my family members. Um, anyways, so let's get into your Air Force story, man. Let's let's hear how Jeremy Rutherford got to be the man and the hero that he is today.
1: Sure, um, a very very long story. Uh, so we'll try to hit the highlights. Uh, back when I was. 17 uh, wasn't necessarily the uh, stand-up gentleman that I am today. Uh, I ended up, I was living on the streets, uh, playing guitar for cash. I never got into drugs or anything like that, but I was a very prideful person and it it bit me a lot. Uh, It took several years for me to finally climb out of that. So it's... And when I hit 18, uh, I'd push came to shove. I really needed to do something else in my life. So I enlisted and I let a recruiter convince me that the reserves was the way to go. Uh, thought that there was gonna be some job opportunities that there just weren't at the beginning. Uh, now I've, I've had more opportunity for work and personal growth than anyone else I know in the reserves. Um, just been really lucky. <laughs>
0: That was Kat that just walked in. Was it? Yeah, that was Kat. His wife That's just opened wife. the door. For those who aren't watching the video. She's probably
1: wondering why I'm not eating dinner.
0: And um, I'll take that pause real quick to just say for me to picture Sergeant Rutherford basically homeless is gotta be the biggest disservice to the world that I could even wrap my head around. Because to me, you're like you're you're like almost you're a literal genius to me and compared to me, you are. And you just have so much talent, so much drive. You're such an just awesome person and leader to think that, to picture you, you know, playing for money out front of a Hastings. It's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. It was a Hastings.
1: I didn't say that.
0: (laughs) I had to give a shout out to Hastings because that story Uh, rocks and we miss it. RIP,
1: right? F in the comments. Yep. (laughs) No one else knows what Hastings is. (laughs) Uh, so I enlisted. I enlisted as a power pro troop with the 442nd Civil Engineer Squadron. Uh, got set up with some pretty good leaders there, uh, though I didn't necessarily recognize it all at the time. We didn't always see eye-to-eye. Uh, normal airman stuff, right? Um, just, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Hell, pro tip, they probably do. Uh, they've been doing it for a long time, and they're still doing it for a reason. Uh, <laughs> so any young airman watching, maybe just listen to your leaders, sometimes they might be right. Um, I learned that later, way later, Uh, went through a lot of different positions. um, But the thing that really spearheaded me onto my path, right, I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2011, 2012. And I injured myself. um, It might surprise you by falling, right? I just fell. There wasn't There was nothing going on really. I fell, smashed my knee into some broken concrete and uh, got stuck in a tent for the next four months just managing a supply inventory. And I guess I impressed someone. And I was uh, recommended for a set of orders working as a CSS for a group chief or group uh, commander when I got back. And that changed my Air Force career. I was actually planning on getting out before that happened um i was toward the end of my enlistment i was like you know what i'll just i'll just cut ties so senior airman me got to work for a full bird colonel who the one i was referencing before um and he completely changed my outlook and uh it's also where i found out that i'm really good with computers started building small products here and there to help just like track eprs or other deliverables uh just to make my life easier really and then other people found out i had these products and they started asking for them and some of them are still used outside of the honor guard database i know my uh, my finance and uh, personnelists at my unit still use my leave tracker that i developed back when i was a baby senior airman
0: nice which was uh,
1: 2012 2013. Um, in that time frame though uh, my I, i lost my brother to suicide um, I dealt with my own depression. I went through a divorce. I had a daughter. She was two at the time. So there was a lot of stuff all compiling. And these orders practically uh, saved my life. Um, before I went on to the orders, I was working overnights at a factory. It was rough. And this happened and the orders came up, my supervision, my leadership in the background, they knew what was going on and they they pulled some strings to help me out as much as they possibly could. And I couldn't be more thankful for that. Shout out to Chief Master Sergeant Nathan Hooten. Uh, <laughs> he's never going to see this. You never know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so a lot of people uh, did a lot of really good things behind the scenes that I just never knew about. And I got pulled into this position helping out with things that were way above my level as a senior airman, things I had no business knowing half the time. And that that Colonel I would sit down with and he would, he would listen to me. The ideas I had for how to get from point A to point B in whatever the program is. I sat through a lot of uh, AFSO 21, which if you don't uh, remember, that was the Air Force Smart Operations of the 21st century. It's what we did before we adopted the Six Sigma standard um and we might still be doing it somewhere but i haven't heard it mentioned in years uh, but i sat through a lot of that and came back uh with with uh, quite a bit of experience and i think it's helped me a lot more since then and one day as reservists uh might be familiar with uh guardsmen too uh we lost money and we no longer had money to fund the position i was working so on my way out A friend I had made uh, along the way. Our PA officer saw me walking out with my box of shame, and said, "Hey, do you need a job?" I said, "Yes." I just found out today I don't have one tomorrow. Good timing. And that job was honor guard.
0: And the rest, they say, is history.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So went went through you know two years of honor guard. uh, Took some time off. Was working as an art senior leader. with the, uh, uh, the CE squadron. I was working alongside actually Chief uh, Hooten and uh, he wasn't a chief at the time, but he, he helped me out a lot. Uh, showed me the ropes and how to be an administrator. And then uh, went to school for software engineering. The whole time I was thinking about Honor Guard where I had already built a product that just could have been better. Everything I learned every week uh, at school, I was like, I could have done this. I could have done this. And so, whenever I got out of school, I got a job working for the Marine Corps as a software developer. And that turned into a job working for the Marine Corps, resetting SharePoint passwords. Oh, no. Uh, in a zipper vault. So I had like no phone. I was stuck in a chair waiting on emails to reset people's passwords. Wow. It was a lot of fun. And then I reached out and spoke to you, and you said, Yes, we need help. And you yeah. realized it was the guy who built the relatively basic product you were using. And you invited me back. And now I've been here almost three years and we've completely rebuilt the thing
0: and everybody loves it. <laughs> it was almost like it was meant to be. Being
1: used at 40, 40 out of this, what 72 honor guards right now. Nice. So, so how I'm, many
0: years total did you have you worked in, in base honor guard?
1: <laughs> uh, during the two years that I was working at CE, uh, I was still in communication with honor guard, but I I, you know, I had my uniform if they really needed me, they never did. Uh, we had got pretty good Manning at Whiteman, but uh, I was I was more of a on the side advisor during that time. They would continually call me, help with how to use the database, uh, help with hey how do we display these flags properly? How do we do this? How does this right? Are we allowed to X Y and Z? And I would answer those questions. So it was uh, interesting, an interesting position. So technically, I started in 2014. And I worked for a little less than two years before I was told, no, I can't be on orders anymore because of rules. (laughs) And uh, so I had to take a little bit of time off and now I'm back. So over the last, uh, it would have been, October would have been six years. I had two years in the middle that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't on officially at Honor Guard, but six years in some capacity.
0: And I remember <clears throat> getting that phone call from you and I was like, wait, this is the guy who created the database? Like, are you kidding me? Like we need this guy. And I was warned by two people to not hire you. And I'll go into that. So one was the guy that worked at uh, base honor guard before me who I was taking over. And he basically just said, you're, you're just too intense. And you know, <laughs> it, it, it seemed like a lot to bring you on. You're just kind of an intense guy and, and not really what he, the vibe you know, he was looking for, whatever that meant. And I took that with a grain of salt. I was like, you know, it just sounded kind of like an opinion. And then uh, there's someone who I looked up to. Um, this is Senior Marino. She, she didn't know you, obviously, but she said, hey, you're a tech sergeant. This is your show. Are you sure you want to hire another tech sergeant? Because like, you're supposed to be running the show here and you know, you're going to be the same rank. And I was like, ah, oh, what do I do? And then I met you and I talked to you and You know, I just came to the conclusion that, you know, when I approached Honor Guard, one of my rules is put your pride aside. It's for the families, it's for the program. And I knew in my heart that you were the most onboard Honor Guardsman I've ever known. And that, you know, your your approach to the mission, your emotion to it, your standards, your high standards, I knew that you would make me operate at hundred percent at all times and you would deal with nothing left. So I, I knew bringing you on board would bring the best out in me. It would challenge me. And so because of those reasons, I said, we got to hire this guy. And it was the best decision I've ever made. I mean, honestly, I do,
1: uh, I, I do remember uh, the first couple of days uh, after you kind of watched me uh, training um, there for a minute, you were like, "Hey, man, you gotta back off. Like, you're too hard." <laughs> I was like, what?
0: <laughs> "Like, but I, I, I to... found
1: a nice balance since yeah. then."
0: <laughs> I think what had happened was the standard had slipped since that 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 hiatus that you had. Mm-hmm. The standard had slipped to an all time low, and it caught you off guard, and so you came in with. No, this is how it looks. This is how training the training environment goes. This is what's going down. And I could just tell that it was a lot for them to handle. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> I so realize like I, that now. <laughs> I wanted to get there, but I just knew it would take a little bit of time. You know, let's ease into it versus day one, like Drill Sergeant Rutherford. <laughs>
1: hey, that's, I mean, honor, honor Guard, it's still a little different than it was, but the airmen we're getting are a little different than they were. Um, just, uh, we're, we're focusing on something a little bit different than when you and I went through basic training and I've got to, I'm, I'm one of the old crotchety tech sergeants. Now, you know, I gotta, I gotta learn how to communicate with the next generation and it's not the easiest thing in the world.
0: No, it's, it's not, it's hard for everybody, man. It's, uh, I mean, even me where I'm at now, like I'm, I, my experience in honor guard, I'm like, Oh, I've mastered that. I'm good. And then I get somewhere new and I'm kind of starting over. So it's definitely an ongoing skill in group by group. You're going to have to pull on different skills, right? You're, you know, so like if we got used to class number one, class number two could completely throw you for a loop. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs>
1: they, they do it every time. <laughs>
0: right. So it's uh it's an ongoing skill that we always have to work on. I've come to, to learn through experience, you know, it's not a one and done by any means. Um, but I think, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation, asking for feedback and asking your team for the best ideas, I think mm-hmm. you can't go wrong with just certain, with including people and hearing and valuing their feedback. There's certain things that you can do to any team that's going to help. Um, so I try, I try to keep that in mind, you know, when I go to a new place and I'm a little frustrated. Um, all right, man. So the reason that, and for everyone listening, the reason that I asked Sergeant Ruthford to be on here today is because he's he's also one of the most resilient people I know because he has gone through so much in his life that I almost felt bad complaining to him about anything, to be honest with you. um, And, and it makes me care about him even more, hearing his story and seeing him be able to express that story more comfortably. It kind of made me feel like speaking on it was helping him work through it in a way is is how it appeared to me um and so do you want to speak on that at all man do you want to get into that uh where would you like me to start um so if you if you've been listening this whole time we heard that uh sergeant rutherford sadly lost his brother to suicide and we wanted to talk about the effects of that, how he works through it, and how that ties into the honor guard career field so why yes. don't you just start with the, with speaking about your brother, your relationship with him, and go from there?
1: Yeah, so uh I come from a relatively large family, like we weren't like the stereotypic uh you know oh, you must be Catholic uh, there was six of us in one household, uh, my parents split when I was very young, and there was uh three in the other household, Um, so nine total. And then my dad had, uh, I have another brother on my dad's side I've seen maybe twice in my life. But to sound impressive, I say there's 10 of us. And I'm number four, I'm number four. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Lost track there. Number four. Um, And we're all born relatively close together at, at at my mom's house where I lived the majority of the time um as it was you know my sister and then like 15 months later was me and then five years later we had another girl boy uh very close in age about 15 to uh, 18 months apart and then another five years we had another uh girl boy uh similarly close so we were kind of raised in pairs and uh the second pair uh is my my sister samantha and my brother dalton and so dalton is was born in 1996 uh, October or excuse me, August 2nd, the other ah sound. And, uh, he was a shy kid, uh, early and we were forced to, you know, big family Midwest. We didn't have a lot of money. We all shared rooms. So he and I were in a a room together for, uh, basically until I was an adult and moved out. And it was, it was a interesting relationship early on after I moved out, it got a lot better. Um, you know, they we are picking on each other and stuff like that when we were kids, just normal stuff that, that kids do to annoy each other. Right. Um, classic, classic siblings, but we, you know, f- fell in love with anime and video games and like we would watch anime uh, raw. For those of you who don't know what that means, that means in Japanese, with no subtitles. We pretended like we knew what they were saying.
0: That's hardcore, <laughs> man. I've never even heard of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'd we'd uh download it on LimeWire. Uh I don't know if that still exists, but uh don't Google
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> That's Virus City, man. Yeah, you get you
1: get one song and 18 viruses. It's yeah, awesome.
0: It's a package but, deal. Yeah
1: we would download them on there and a lot of times you'd get them uh before they had uh uh, any kind of audio or visual text or anything. So we just had to kind of figure out what was going on to watch the latest episode of Dragon Ball Z, you know. Uh,
0: <laughs> Goku holding that spirit ball for
1: three episodes. We have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we, be, we became pretty good friends. Uh, he was my best friend. And then in 2012, I got back from uh, deployment Uh, he had been sort of bouncing around between his mom and his dad's house, uh, sort of trying to find what worked best for him. Whereas my mom was a little bit more lax, uh, let him homeschool for instance. Um, his dad was significantly more strict, but not in a bad way. It was, Hey, no, you're, you're 16. You're not allowed to smoke. Sorry. You know, it was, he was harsh. Or he was he was strict but he wasn't harsh if that mm-hmm. makes sense um but kids you don't like any level of authority so he rebelled and went to the the home where he could stay free in his that's mind. actually
0: really common with divorce mm-hmm. is that the kids will tend to gravitate towards the parent that is more lax i mean that's that's very common it's, i've seen it's that. In it's my more own life. fun right it's more fun but it doesn't mean it's better you know what i mean yeah
1: yeah So I come home from deployment Uh, during the deployment. My first wife cheated on me Um, and we tried to kind of work through it and it just, it didn't, it didn't. Uh, So by the time I got back, she had already moved out, was uh, living at her. I think at the time she was living at her parents' place. My daughter was almost two. Um, I hadn't seen her in, you know, seven months. Uh, She didn't know who I was anymore. Um, so I'm living on my own. I, went, I ended up staying with my sister for about a month just because I couldn't be alone. I was not in a good space mentally. And especially back then, like, yeah, we had our mental health uh, resources, but even back then, and that was only eight years ago, uh, it was still taboo to have or admit as a man that you have some sort of uh, anxiety or depression, or you know, whatever, and it, it manifests itself a lot as anger issues. You know, from issues I had growing up, uh, when my mom was uh, physically and mentally abusive, uh, to, to this, uh, sort of dysfunctional marriage. Um, I, I didn't dysfunctional, that's how English works.
0: <laughs> you got it. <laughs>
1: uh, it, it was it was a complicated scenario and I refused to get help because reasons. And the one out that I had was that summer uh, my brother uh, came and stayed with me. So I got back in March, April time frame. I stayed with my sister for about a month, helped her with her kids as her husband was also deployed. And eventually I, I had to go home. I couldn't, I was paying rent on a place I wasn't staying at. So, I went home, got a couple of roommates to help make ends meet while I'm trying to figure out a divorce. And uh, my brother came and stayed with me. So we played games. We worked out. We were in martial arts together because that's what happens when you like anime as a kid. Uh-
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> so we, we bonded. I'm just picturing as-
0: you all like reenacting like, certain fights from like Dragon Ball Z or something. Uh,
1: mostly we used, we used the martial arts to uh, choreograph lightsaber battles. Oh my God. With like, with like professional
0: acrobatics
1: and butterfly kicks and. Tell me a the,
0: trampoline was involved.
1: Uh, there was when we were a kid, but uh, yeah. after I wasn't, I didn't have a yard. So <laughs> we lived in an apartment. <laughs> nice. There was, there was no, uh, no trampoline room. Um, but we we managed to hurt ourselves all the same. You don't need a trampoline for that,
0: right? Well
1: uh, that was it was one of the best summers uh, I had ever had. He and I grew closer than ever. Uh, we'd stay up until we literally passed out on the couch talking, uh, watching movies, TV shows, uh, Doctor Who specifically. Uh, uh, actually, I still watch Doctor. Who. Anyway, yep,
0: I know. <laughs> I remember.
1: okay uh oh i'm gonna break my whole computer uh and by the end of the or by the start of the next school year he had to go back and live with his mom um he was doing the homeschooling thing uh the divorce finally went through on october 11th 2012 and my daughter turned two on october 16th i was working at a factory overnight like i said I was on my way home on October 22nd as my machine at the factory broke down and the maintenance crew only worked days. So they sent me home. I was heading home uh, and I lived in a different town. Uh, My mom and brother lived in the town that I was working. And I usually would drive to their place and crash on the couch because I just didn't have the energy to drive home. And I remember I got in the wrong turn lane I decided to turn left. I was like, yeah, I'll see him tomorrow. And I made it home. I crashed, woke up about seven, eight o'clock, watched some doctor who tried to text him about it. And I want to say it was close to nine, nine 30. And my sister texted me and said, Hey, have you talked to mom? I said, no, what's up? And She said, you need to call her. And I called, called my mom, uh, in her defense, she didn't know that I didn't know, but all she said on the phone through hysteric tears was he's dead. And I thought maybe she was talking about her husband. I thought anything else, but this. And so I got real serious. I said, okay, calm down. What's who, who's, who's dead. And she just screamed his name, Dalton. And it was like, I mean, every cliche in the book, right? Somebody knocked the wind out of my lungs. Somebody swept you, swept your legs out from under you. The world was rocking. Uh, everything came crashing down all at the same time. And the next thing I know, my roommate uh, was coming out of his, of his bedroom, wherever, whatever he was doing in there and was stopping me cause I was, I was on the, on the ground, on my hands and knees, just screaming. And that's where I came to my phones on the floor. I know there's no way this can be real. And it was, it was one of the most, well, the most gutting experience I've ever had. Uh, so uh, maybe put a, like a trigger warning at the beginning of all this. Uh,
0: Definitely, just, dude. the just case it absolutely breaks my like, uh, I don't care how many times I hear it. Every single time I hear it, it breaks my heart, man. Because just I know you so well. I I know the kind of guy you are. And it it sounds like, I mean, you you had your best friend with you. You had your brother, your best friend. I have the same thing. My brother Nate. Um, he lives in Colorado. He's my only. I have five sisters and I have one brother. So he's who I nerd at, you know, nerd out with, I watched anime with, I played video games with. And, and like, I know how that feels, you know, to have that brother, that best friend, that person who you could truly be yourself around pretty much. It's kind of like a clone of you in a way. Um, but yeah, it it freaking breaks my heart, man, to, to know that you, one of my best friends, you know, had to go through that. Um, and I don't care how many times I hear it, man. It's just, it breaks my heart. And, and that's one of the reasons I asked you to be on here today, because I feel like, you know, you've come a long way with your journey and your story. I was inspired by it. I've been inspired by seeing you, how you talk about it, what it means to you and how you carry it with you. Um, so I was hoping you could, you can kind of shed some light to someone like me who hasn't gone through suicide with someone that close and, and you could also kind of go into to help people that might be going through that right now what was the aftermath like and, and how do you deal with something oh, like that how do you carry that with you and, and still function
1: um, so this might come as a surprise to you just because you know me uh, I fell back on my faith quite a bit um, for those who don't know me I'm an atheist now at the time I was a diehard Christian uh, and I used my faith, my religious support network and all that to a uh, great effect, uh, which is why I don't um, at even not believing those things. I don't disparage those who do because I understand how much it impacted my life and even though it was only a a couple of years after that I actually left the church. uh, My, my friends, my family, the idea, the comfort that prayer can bring. All of that was instrumental in keeping me from ever doing anything like that or from uh, losing my mind entirely. It was incredibly difficult. I mean, there's still days where it's incredibly difficult. Um, And now the way I deal with it is using, uh, you know, if, if it hits me, especially around October is Halloween, you know, is the,
0: the reminder you're in October.
1: It is, it is the start of fall. And it, what used to be so beautiful and a, a Halloween is one of the most fun holidays there is. I, you know, how often do you get to dress up as, you know, X, Y, or Z and, and just have a good time. You know, and that, I mean, I've never been a party animal or anything like that, but those, you know, Halloween is, it's just fun. The atmosphere is enjoyable. And now it's soured just a little, um, eight years later, and it's still not completely healed. And I don't think it ever will be, uh, an unexpected death is always harder than an expected one, right? You know, if you have a grandparent is in their nineties and you know, they've got like something like pancreatic cancer or just their old, and then organs are shutting down a little bit every year. Uh, you expect it. You can see it coming. You have time to say goodbye. I, I was texting him after he had died and no one knew he had died.
0: Wow. Did you guys ever figure out why?
1: Um, he left a note, but, uh, No. I mean, ultimately he said nice things uh, to most of us. He kind he didn't blame my mom, but he called her out on a lot of crap that we went through as kids. I mean, a lot of inconsistencies and hypocrisies that he saw in her, but uh, no, um, there, there is no answer. And the closest I can get is that he was, he was agnostic. He was not, he was not religious Uh, but he believed that there was something and part of his letter referenced that something. And he saw me struggling with divorce. He saw my sister struggling with anxiety and depression. He saw my mom struggling with a host of mental illnesses and uh, she was on her fifth husband at the time. So he's seen a lot of failure in his life. And he said, why on earth would I want to live through all of that just to, just to move on to what's next when I can do it now. Wow. So, it was, so it's like
0: every example that he had, you know, from his worldview was very negative. Life sucks. Yeah. yeah. Like there, there wasn't a lot of good things going on. No, ever for him.
1: No, no, not at all. And, So I think obviously, you know, according to uh, the experts who study this sort of thing, the vast majority of suicides are the result of undiagnosed mental illness. And I think that his particular mental illness led to this infatuation with finding out the truth about the afterlife, right? He was fascinated with Egyptian mythology and the the nine gates and all that stuff where you, uh, however Egyptian mythology works as a journey to heaven through hell. He was fascinated with the idea of purgatory and uh, all these other religions and Dante's Inferno and all that. Uh, It was something that was very, fascinating to him which I, I think i've said fascinated about 12 times now um but it was something he was very much interested in and i think that that was that combined with you know he had had he legitimately had a bad day the the day before got in a fight with my mom uh and he just decided to to do it
0: jeez man i'm so i'm still so sorry you know for your loss and every October I, I think of you and I want to make sure that I, I call you every October. And, and if I'm not there to give you a hug in real life, then I can just do it virtually, but still I you're on my mind every fall too. And I think you always will be um, cause you're, you're basically a brother to me at this point. Um, So were you still struggling with the after effects of that divorce too during this time? Was that?
1: Uh, yes. But the, the divorce itself, um, I wasn't struggling. I was still angry at what had happened, but primarily I was, I was, uh, I was financially impacted pretty severely. Uh, I was making maybe $8 an hour plus drill weekends and paying child support rent. Uh, I had a car, I had to upkeep and all that. So I was hurting there uh, mentally. I was angry and I missed my daughter. Right. And she, even at that time, barely knew who I was. Um, it was a really tough time i wasn't so much hung up on the X as I was the life that I had built or was trying to build um as flawed as a reasoning as I may have had for building it,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I remember when you like when when I had my daughter and you know you saw me raising her during our time in honor guard, and you were talking about your divorce and your time with your daughter and i I realized how limited that was, and normally that wouldn't catch my attention but because I was like this new dad I kind of put myself in your shoes and I was like holy cow like she didn't know who you were you barely saw her like mm-hmm. you're struggling for custody as a military member that's hard to do like there's just I I could not believe like how emotionally challenging something like that would be and you know moving wise you want to stay in the local area because you don't want to miss out on the opportunities to on those few times to see her and spend time with her and you know, with all this going on in your life, like truly would break most people. They would resort to drugs and alcohol. And I don't think anyone would blame them. This is some serious trauma that is very, very hard to deal with for the rest of your life. You have to find a way to keep going. And, you know, I I want to know, and I think anyone listening would want to know what those stages look like and, and what has worked for you to get to where you're at today.
1: Well, I think... I think uh, I'm a very logical person, so I I jumped around um, being familiar with like the stages of grief. Um, I understood that what had happened was real, but it did take a long time not to blame myself. How didn't I see this? How did this happen? And I knew nothing about it. He was my best friend. How on earth could this happen without me being aware that it was even a thought? that he was even upset. Um, and actually he referenced me in the note and said like, I know I don't have it as bad as other people like. Oh, <laughs> he, wow. He's like, but I also don't want to give it a chance to, to be bad. The problem there is he never gave it a chance to be better. Um, and that's you know the biggest message I have whenever I do talk to people about this is it, it might be bad or the things around you might be bad, but it could get so much better. And I'm the evidence of that. Um, now I've, I've got my own house. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got my daughter here now, she's, she's 10. Um, watch out for the treadmill. Uh, um, but I, I am my own definition of success. And I got there through, uh, there was a little bit of trying to ignore it at the beginning. Um, and it would hit in waves, the anguish um, during the first few months, especially. It almost always felt like you would see him, you know, ready to walk in through the door. You'd wake up and expect to go out in the living room and he'd be there playing a video game or, you know, whatever, um, practicing some, some martial art. Uh, it was, it, it is a very weird thing to have somebody that's such a big part of your life, not just like. Like I'd be heartbroken if my dad died right now, but I haven't lived with my dad in many years. But it's different, even though it's you know not my father, it's somebody who lived with me. And I've read once that siblings are the most unique relationship we will ever have, right? Your parents generally die significantly before you do. Hope, hopefully at an old age. And you also live to an old age, right? But generally there's a, you know, a pretty good gap between the deaths and you learn to live with that. And with your children, there's usually a large gap between when you're born and when they're born. But your siblings will spend more time with you throughout your life than any other person.
0: They well, are born think about it that way. near
1: the same time and you generally absent accidents or other situations, you die around the same time. And so a loss of a sibling before its time is uniquely difficult to deal with, especially when you're close.
0: Yeah, I mean, even when like my family visits, you know, for a few weeks and then they leave, I wake up expecting to see them in the living room to see my dad on his computer checking the news. and like I'm gonna be honest, like just just from that, just from being around my family, getting used to them being home with me on leave and then them leaving. Like I, I, that first few days I'm like super bummed. i I miss my family. I want to see him again. And I expected to see him. I forgot for a second that they already left the day before. And so I can't imagine like what you must've been going through, you know, losing him, but also him being an actual roommate of yours too, that you spent day in and day out with like, that's, I mean, that's brutal, man.
1: Yeah, the uh the loneliness set in pretty quick. Um ultimately I ended up actually moved back in with my mom because I I couldn't afford uh the place I was staying anymore. So I handed it over to my roommates and I had to I had to move. I simply wasn't making enough money. Um right up until Honor Guard. Uh <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh actually when I first moved uh, when I first moved over to Honor Guard, I that was actually the same month that I moved out at my mom's house for the second time. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you got to, right? I had to take, take that hand out or hand up when I needed it. Uh, God knows where I would be otherwise. But, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, dealing with it, it took a lot of logic for me. I had to remind myself occasionally that it wasn't my fault just because I didn't see it just because I turned the wrong way on the way home, if I had turned the other way, I don't know that I would have been able to stop him. I don't know that he wouldn't have shot me in the process. I don't know. And that's fine. And that's one of the biggest things that I've had to wrestle with is that idea that I don't know is okay. And it's hard, but that alone has been a, a massive help in many areas of my, lives, in, of my life, including this one. I'm not a cat. I only have the one life going on. Um, but being able to accept the unknown, which is, according to some psychologists, the the ultimate fear. Everything goes back to the unknown. If you follow that little spider web uh, uh, of related fears. And... I, th- I think that for me realizing that just because I didn't know, didn't mean that it was my fault. Didn't mean that it would hurt any less. Will I see him again after I die? I have no idea. Would he be proud of me? I have no idea. Would I be proud of the man that he would have become? I have no idea. I'd like to think so, but at the same time, it's okay that I'm not knowing what these things are and they don't make me sad. Do I still miss them? Absolutely. Uh, occasionally, especially around fall, I'm hit with the, just this profound longing to be with my friend again. Um, and I, I work through that with song. That's one of the reasons why I still play guitar. Um, there's, there's a few songs I find myself uh, gravitating back towards uh, every, every year around that time. Um, and they're there's are songs that came out around that same time in 2012. Um, so go figure how new music is tied to memory in my in my life. Um, but what are those songs? Um, <clears throat> there's there's uh, they're a little more religious, I think, than many people in my current friend circle would realize. Because again, they don't make a big deal about religion anymore. Uh, the first one was uh, a song actually directly about suicide um, called, uh, I want to say it's called Zero by Hawk Nelson. And it's it's written from the point of view of a suicide survivor. Um, kind of partway blaming uh, the the individual, you know, how could you do this to us? like, you know, what life is like here. And now you're leaving us alone to handle it by ourselves. And that was uh, the attitude I had. Um, I actually, I sent his Facebook uh, message uh, maybe a month after on the, on the anniversary, I had bought a little too much alcohol. And instead of drinking it all, I drank a little and messaged him uh, knowing he would never see it, but it was, it was angry. It was vehement. And I blamed him I questioned him, knowing he would never see this. Um, but it was still was was kind of uh, therapeutic to finally say something that I you, you can't say any other way. Um, but yeah, but <laughs> Facebook keeps our loved ones alive,
0: right? I mean, that's I think that's totally normal, man. You're you have all these thoughts you don't even really know your thoughts until you get it out there sometimes. Yeah, especially me. (laughs) Like you're bottling up so much, you're avoiding so much in your own head that when you finally come out with it, it might catch you off guard. You know what I mean? What you say or do. And so I think that, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's therapeutic. It was a way, even though you're a very logical person and you were able to kind of step outside the situation and say, these are, this is grief. This is what I'm going to go through. This is how I'm going to feel. You still, even as a logical person wrote his Facebook. And I think, um, I think you just needed to get it off your chest, man, one way or the other, you know? Um, And, and that was probably really helpful to just gather your thoughts on one spot.
1: It did. It helped a lot um, to be able to articulate it. And then when people have the weird questions or the cliche sayings, I've now already articulated my feelings and my thoughts, even though it wasn't to anybody who could hear it. Now I could reply a little bit more rationally, right? Everyone says, all things happen for a reason. Like, I can't just be like, F you, dude. Like to everyone who says that, because I, you know, I've been bottling it. I had ignored it. And to try to contain all of that, and then somebody says that one thing that just puts a little, a little chip. Everything's ready to explode, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a soda bottle, and I've just been shaking it up, and somebody just cracks it a little bit. It's gonna come out. Um, and that's that's what I was doing. So that, that writing that out like that uh, really helped me, uh, diffuse the, the pressure. Um, so that I could be like, hey, you know, and logically, I know you mean well. So thank you. Right. Not. You don't even know, dude. Don't say stupid things to me. <laughs>
0: you know? uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what? What else has worked though for you, man? I mean, ultimately,
1: uh, I did even even accepting it as a fact, I. I still kind of ignored it, right? They were emotions that I didn't want to deal with. I wasn't hung up on some idea that he would come back, or you know, trying to deny that it happened in my head. I accepted it, and I mourned him, but I still tried to ignore it when it would come up, right? And the thing I I didn't say I did. Uh, I had to clean the mess. Again, we're not a very well off family. The coroners came and took him away but there was still a massive mess that needed to be cleaned. So me and my brother-in-law, we took care of that for the family. We couldn't afford a hazmat team to come in and clean it up for us. And so that stuck with me more than his loss did. And like to this day, I still have a little bit of anxious reaction to things like blood on, on a wooden table.
0: And I hate that. I really hate that you did that, that when you, when you tell that part of the story, that you were. We
1: can cut that out if you want.
0: Oh no 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 no! I I think it's it's you went through it. It's what happened. But, you know, you were, you had to clean it up. And I just, it's not right for you to do that, man. Like if if there was any way I could just, uh, uh, part of me was, just wants to save you from that. I I, I hate <laughs> that you, I hate that you went through that. You I find
1: that, that memory and just pluck it out. It'd be fine. Yeah,
0: I mean that's just so but much think, more brutal.
1: Excuse me. I think it helped me though being the logical person that i am i think that that i credit that moment with a massive amount of my closure to the situation to accept that this is real i don't have the memory of the room just you know the way it was when he was in it i don't but i don't have the memory of cleaning it really either isn't the that's not what i think of when i think of his bedroom i think of his bunk bed i think of his old cathode ray tube tv sitting there with uh dust on it where he wrote i love you isaiah is my youngest brother's name and i think of the fact that even even amidst all that he still had doctor who on the television he had just finished the last season that was available on Netflix, watching it on his Wii. Uh, for the younger viewers out there, that's an old video game system. Uh,
0: <laughs> so you're remembering all these, these nice little unique things about yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I focused on that because I think the, the cleaning it, especially uh, with – I'm trying not to be too graphic, but it was bad. And being able to clean that myself instead of making someone else do it, like, no, he's my brother. He's my responsibility. His mess is my responsibility and I will take care of it. Being able to take charge of the situation and make sure that my mom didn't have to see any of it as we removed it from the house, making sure that nobody else had to deal with this. For me, while yes, I probably never should have had to be in that situation, it really did. It it made it so that I could focus on what happens next instead of what already happened. To kind of see the room, the environment in transition, and to be the one controlling that transition was a unique position for me to to take perspective and move on to force the world that was around me and the world that was within me to transition as well.
0: Wow. So it was like a physical manifestation of working on. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I never even thought of it that way. <laughs> Holy cow.
1: I do not recommend it to everyone.
0: No, no. I'm, I'm glad that I hate that you went through it, but I'm glad that you're able to look at it in that light. Um, cause that's, that's traumatic, man. That's hard. Um, you know, for, if there's anyone that's listening now that, you know, maybe just dealt with this recently, you know, what, what would you tell that person? Um, that's work for you. Like, is it, is it the cliche answers as well that work, or is there something unique that there's
1: nothing cliche that works? There's nothing that makes it better. There's nothing that makes it easier. Just realize that it's not your fault. There's nothing you could have done differently. They made up their mind. There's it'll, it gets easier over time the the more temporally removed from the situation that you are uh that the further away from from you get from that situation in time but it doesn't it's less frequent right the waves come less frequent but many times they hit just as hard as if it happened last night
0: when so, that um, happens I, what do you what do you recommend how do you how do you handle that yourself when those waves hit
1: I grab my guitar. Sometimes I sit in my car and I listen to the songs instead of play them myself and I cry.
0: So you're using music as your emotional outlet. It's
1: a, yeah, it's a cathartic release for sure. Does it help? The, the, it does. It does a lot actually. And there's a song and I don't know, you'd ask me which songs I listen to. So Zero by Hawk Nelson was one, but I don't really listen to that one anymore. I think of the lyrics from time to time um but the song that has stuck with me forever because that one is angry right zero is you know we started in the same place we started at zero uh what changed and how could you leave us and why would you do this and you know it's been eight years and i still don't have answers and i don't that's not the focus that i want to have on it right so it's still a good song it's still a good angry release, right? It was. I was. Uh, Hawk Nelson was sort of a Christian teen angst band um, <laughs> from back in the early two thousands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the song that I listen to now is a song that I I I didn't hear about it for a couple years after he died, but it came out the summer right before he died, and it's a song called "Souvenirs" by Switchfoot. So I listened to a song called Souvenirs by Switchfoot now, and I, I can play the song, but I'm not going to, you know, maybe I'll upload that one day. Um, the interesting thing about that is earlier uh, this year, because of, or I guess last year, because of COVID, uh, Switchfoot has been unable to tour. I don't know if you remember Switchfoot from like 2003. But oh, they I still, definitely
0: remember them. They,
1: they still tour.
0: Meant to live, man. That's one of the best songs oh, ever. Oh, So I much more.
1: Um, but souvenirs has this—I have no idea what he wrote it about—but it is it brings a particular sense of longing. That I, if I played that song right now and sent it to members of my family, I guarantee you, every one of them would be crying, thinking about my brother. It has this unique sense. I, it can be used for any situation of loss. You know, missing the, just the old times With you think of your childhood friend, you know, they could still be alive and well, but you're not friends anymore. That song will make you think of them. Hmm. Whatever the most profound loss you have, this song will bring it out and it brings it out in the best way. And it does that by making a toast, right? It starts off, uh, you know, here's to, uh, the twilight here's to the memories These are my souvenirs, you know, uh, just the things that we've brought with us, the good things that we brought with us and we've made them our souvenirs of the things that we've gone through. And it's, it's a fantastic song. Highly recommend it to anybody. Um, Just if you have experienced a profound loss, you might want to watch it the first time while you're alone, but,
0: I'm definitely, gonna, I'm definitely going gonna to listen cry. to it, man, um, because I love Switchfoot. I love the meant to live song. So I, I don't know if I've heard souvenirs, but just the way you're describing it, like I'm going to have to listen to it right oh, yeah. after this. And
1: they, they, so I got into it just a little bit there where they talked about uh, they're not touring this year because of, or last year because of COVID. So they were releasing a lot of videos online. And for some reason right now, I've been saying other words to try to, rem- I cannot remember the frontman's name. Is it, I want to say it's John Foreman. I don't know, man. But I really can't remember. <laughs> anyway, he has been uploading a lot of videos. Uh, some of them are collabs, kind of like what we're doing now. They'll just have, you know, two members of the band playing a song and singing. He did Souvenirs solo. um, And it is absolutely beautiful. Um, took out all the, all the drums, all the, electric guitar and the synth and it's just him and his guitar and his passion and it is definitely worth the watch
0: wow wow man i'm definitely going to look that up um holy cow yeah i'm i wrote it down because i'm going to look it up right after this and and i'm going to give it a listen tonight so uh another thing that we wanted to hit on too man was you know honor guard is something you're very very passionate about Anyone yes. who knows you knows how everyone in the honor guard community knows who you are. You have paved the path for all other honor guardsmen in a way, and you continue to help them to this day, probably forever. As long as I you can get so. your, as long as you can get your hands on a manual, you will be helping forever. Yeah, as
1: long as they let me, I will do what I can.
0: Right. And, uh, man, I wouldn't be surprised if you were working at bowling one day, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> But my question to you is how have you know, the tragedy of losing your brother, how has that played into y- your role as an honor guardsman?
1: So a lot of people might look at it and not realize that there could be a, a strong connection, or they might look at it and think that it should have pushed me the opposite direction. Um, right. In honor guard, we deal a lot with death. Um, for those of you who don't know, military funerals. And that's our primary mission at Whiteman. We do between 1,100 and 1,200 a year just funerals. About a quarter of them are uh, retirees who spent 20 years or more uh, serving uh, the United States Air Force. And at the front of everyone's thoughts when they hear my story is, how are you dealing with grieving families next of kin? Why are you doing this job? Of all the jobs that I could be doing, why this one? And Honor Guard not only helped me sort of get a little bit more closure by being close to death, but it also is a unique passion of mine to help those families uh, not grieve, right? Cause I'm not, I'm not a counselor. I'm not there with them through the process, but the military honors portion I want to give them the absolute best experience and presentation that they could possibly have, Uh, not just because it's my job and not just because, you know, it's the Air Force and we're supposed to be professional, but because it's what I would have wanted uh, if my brother had actually served. And he was a ROTC cadet. He, you know, went through all that. And his death didn't – like his funeral was very – chaotic if that makes sense there was a lot of people said a lot of things my mom lost her mind in the middle of a speech um it was it was rough and the most i can do to bring structure to that type of environment like you think about it you're you're drowning right in this wild whirlwind we call life and for the last 36 years or more, you've been married to this one person and they are gone. And now you're drowning by yourself with maybe a bunch of kids and grandkids trying to tell you how to stay afloat, but they haven't been in that whirlwind as long as you have. You reach out and you try to grab onto anything solid that you can. And you know what? He served in Vietnam. He served in World War II. He served at wherever Kosovo, Bosnia, whatever he served. And they latch onto that structure and what they remember and how important it was to their life. And we provide that structure. We provide that scaffolding upon which they might move on to the next phase of their life. So for me, I see stories of other honor guards or I see videos of other honor guards where they're wearing their uniform incorrectly. They're making up movements. They're doing things sloppy. They're wearing beards. They're doing all these things that maybe aren't necessarily allowed. I want to avoid being that honor guard. I want to make sure that my airmen know why we do the things we do and how to do them properly, because I want to give them that most stable scaffolding that they can, the family that they can have in order to move on. And you ask any, anyone who more than, you know, a year ago had a military funeral for a loved one. And they're not going to remember the things that were said. They're not going to remember the speech or the song or the slideshow, but they all remember the honor guard.
0: That's beautiful, man. And obviously, you know, who I've worked alongside with you in this process. So I, I know exactly I, I feel exactly what you're talking about and I know how it feels. Um you're you're giving them this prideful moment, you know, when they're at their lowest point, one of the lowest points in their life, but you're kind of like this beacon of pride that they can latch onto and and instead of feeling just sorrow, they have that feeling of pride and when you hand them the flag, sometimes they hold on to your hands because hey,
1: um, I every time.
0: I mean, you're symbolically giving a piece of them to the family, that flag. And so they hold on to you, right? They want to grab you and and hold on to that. And it's symbolically very powerful. And it's I think after seeing the ones that I've seen and, and being a part of them and hearing the stories, I I've come to the conclusion that's part of the healing process for the family. And it, it's mm-hmm. very sacred and very impactful. And um and I love that you're in charge of the program or that you're one of the NCOs of the program, because yeah. for you to share that story and that perspective, I mean, I think back to like Airman White, you know, myself, I took everything, I, I took everything as a joke. You know what I mean? It was hard for me to take anything seriously and I can envision myself getting an honor guard and you know it's cuz i was scared i i was scared to be vulnerable that's really what it was and so i could see myself as an airman going to honor guard i never did but i could picture myself going and joking on the training floor maybe not taking it seriously as a way because i'm afraid to be vulnerable again and if i, I had fear someone of being like unknown. yeah yeah if i had someone like you to kind of reel me in to to share to level with me to show a side that you don't often share with everyone And to really grab my attention and to bring me down to earth and to say, look, you're 18 years old, 18, 19 years old, but here's the deal. Here's what's happening. Here's the impact that you have. That's what every base honor guard needs. They need someone like you who can connect to the the mission on that emotional level to kind of bring them back down to earth, to let them know what they're doing here. And that it's not your average normal you know, seven to four job. This is something greater. It's a greater calling, a greater purpose. And so I always encouraged you to share your story for that reason right there. Because if anyone's, if anyone could hear it, that was unfamiliar with the honor guard or wasn't sure exactly what they provide other than showing up at like commander's calls or something. Those are fun. Right, because the base doesn't typically I see it, because we're we're driving everywhere but the base to get to these funerals. So the base typically doesn't yeah. see Just the base honor guard.
1: Put a, put the map up right here. <laughs> the
0: area right. we cover. Yeah, I don't. I'm not that good. So no, you're not going to see a map. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, don't oversell me, man.
1: Um, ah, hey, you know what? World's best hype man, right there. You got something you want to get on
0: somebody else's plate? Is it me? I'm the world's best yeah, hype man still.
1: Man. Oh yeah. Or at least the Air Force's best hype man. I don't know.
0: I don't know. We'll see when I retire if I become the world's best. Um, be working
1: for Elon Musk here soon. Oh, that'd
0: be awesome. <laughs> that would <will> be. <laughs> um. So you know, uh, I want to kind of wrap it up here. Um, I've had you on for a quite while, a, quite a while now. I'm probably r- longer running longer than we planned. Of, uh, but I, I wanted to, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart, man, for being vulnerable. When you first spoke on this situation, um, this, that you encountered, you know,
1: that was unplanned
0: a few. A few yeah. Like <laughs> you were emotional. I, I felt like it was healing for you to say it though. And I was really proud of you then. And I'm very proud of you now. And I've told you that many times. And I'll keep telling you that because, you know, you're taking us along for you or with you on this journey. You're taking us with you. You're letting us in. And it not only helps us, you know, understand what you're going through, but I think it helps you too, man. I, it helps you let us in. It helps you let us be there with you in that moment, so that you're not holding on to it by yourself. So
1: That's I've learned a, floundering in the whirlpool again.
0: I've learned a lot from you, man. I've learned a lot from hearing the story, seeing your journey, and I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing the story with us today. Um, and the last question that I have for you is. You know, if you were to send yourself a message back then when right after it happened and you lost your brother, if is there anything you would tell yourself back then from future you, any message that you would give?
1: No. Uh there isn't because I wouldn't listen to it. <laughs> even if even if you know time travel was an established concept and the ability to communicate with your past self was a thing i wouldn't listen to myself I, I wouldn't listen to it's not your fault i wouldn't listen to don't be angry i wouldn't listen to this isn't the end because when you're going through it it's all there is That's why the cliches don't matter. And after the fact, I I try to avoid it because I remember they don't work. Even if they mean something, they don't mean anything. No matter how good intentioned you are, the words are just words because all you can think of in the moment is that they are gone. This thing that was once a part of me has been ripped away. Like, what could you possibly say to somebody who just lost their... You know, legs in a car accident.
0: I think like, you suck, dude. Like you bring a better question than actually now. Now that we're talking, what would you tell someone who knows someone who lost a, a loved one? So, for instance, if there's a listener whose best friend lost their their brother, you know what what could a family or friend hear to help that person Just going through that? Distract them.
1: Distract them. Um, the best thing you can do besides keep an eye on their mental health and make sure they get help if they need it. But as a friend or family member, the best thing you can do to help them move on is don't let them dwell on it for too long. Right. That's whenever things start to get dark. That's when things start to get dangerous, but give them something to do. Bring them food. Don't ask them what they want. Don't say, "Hey, I'm here if you need me." Don't say, "Hey, uh, what?" Say, "Hey, what's your favorite pasta?" What? What's your favorite pasta? Uh, I love manicotti. Cool. I'm bringing manicotti for dinner tomorrow. Don't ask them to come to you for help. Tell them what you're going to do to help, right? And distract them. Give them a give them something to do. Go play Monopoly with them or something actually fun. Uh, you know, have a, have a game night, have something not right away. They still need time to process, but the best thing to do is instead of, Hey, I'm there for you is to be there for them, make it a priority. Cause they will not reach out to you, reach out and talk to all your friends, let them know you're there for them. But when somebody's going through something, just go do it, just, just do it. it. Just
0: act. I love that, man. That's, that's really good advice. Um, and I guess the last question then that I, I, the last question that I have for you tonight is I just wanna hear something special about Dalton, man. I wanna hear one of your fondest memories of Dalton and how you'd like him to be remembered.
1: Uh, so the proudest I ever was of Dalton um, wasn't actually an event I was there for, but I got to see a video of it later. Uh Dalton got a little big uh for a 16 year old. He was broad shouldered. Uh he was, you know, maybe 5 foot 10. Uh not fat big, but like he was putting on some muscle for a 16 year old. Like he was giving me a run for my money. Not that I was big. I was I was a scrawny young adult. But he I, we we got a hold of this video from one of his friends and it was after he'd passed away that we saw it. But it was it really spoke to the kind of person he was and he would talk, he would talk a big talk, right? He would, you know, th- behind closed doors, like God oh, knock his teeth out or whatever. Right. Like we're both, you know, trained to fight. And, and we like to brag about it. We were young, dumb and, and just angry, you know? Uh, so we're going to flex a little, but I, in this video, he was flexing against the person who needed to be flexed against. Uh, It was a video of them in a locker room. And there was this guy who was bigger than him who had been picking on another kid, uh, I guess for some time. And he made the mistake of doing it in front of my brother. And he had him, he, he didn't lay hands on him. He had him backed up against that locker, like a MTI would. And he's like, you got something you want to say to him. You're going to be coming through me. You understand what I'm saying? You know, like he was in his face. He was like, you do not lay a hand on him while I'm around. And that idea, that concept that is encapsulated in that short, maybe 20 second video of him defending somebody who couldn't defend themselves is 100% the person he was.
0: Wow. That's beautiful, man. How do how was that captured on tape? Another kid in the locker room had a, a
1: cell phone. It was a flip phone back then. We didn't have smartphones. Oh, nice. But yeah, he had a little he had a little a little flip phone, probably a razor or and something. You that like after
0: that. after he passed away, you saw that video. Yeah,
1: yeah. I uh, it didn't. We I had asked for people to send me videos of him. Uh, I would, was planning on making a compilation, and I ended up not getting anything. But one of his friends who's uh, he was kind of in between our ages he was a mutual friend of both of us and he's like actually you know we got this and that's the only video that ended up coming out of it Um, I wish I wish he had been around for for me to be proud of to his face but I also know he would have been so embarrassed or tried to make it out to be something that it was like he would have been like no nah, man i wasn't you know he wanted to be the tough guy he he's the kid with the leather jacket with cigarettes you know all the time nice so he was he was trying to appear to be uh, a badass rather than you know just sweet little dalton who happened to be a badass and would stick up for anyone who needed sticking up for
0: I love that you saw that, um, that you had that video, though, as as something that you never would have normally saw, but you're at least able to see it. And it's something you can be proud of about this kid. And and everything that you've told me about Dalton, man, he he sounds like you. I mean, he sounds like you. So I know I would absolutely love him um, if I was ever blessed to be able to spend time with him. So, all right, that wraps up the Hero Front podcast with Tech Sergeant Jeremy Rutherford. Um, I want to personally thank you from the bottom of my heart. Again, man, you know, I love you, brother. Um, you're one of the best human beings I've ever known. One of my best friends, a brother to me forever. And so I hope, uh, anyone listening to this will love you as much as I do. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. We'll see you on the next one. Take care.